0: Let's open in prayer. Yes, ma'am. Sir. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask, thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word and to see what you would want us to learn from the word. Guide and lead us tonight in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 121. It's another one of the Song of Degrees, which we talked about last week. Was We're not quite sure exactly what they that means. Uh, we do know that the Jews would sing these songs as they would go up into Jerusalem for the feast. Uh, We do know that they've been sung in the temple. And as I talked about last week, there's a very strong possibility that they were songs written by uh, the king when he had extra life added to his, uh, days added to his life. Uh, Hezekiah. So any one of those possibilities, but we've got 10 of these in a row that we have to deal with. And this one starts in verse one. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. He that keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade upon my right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your going coming in from this time forth and forevermore. All right, very powerful Psalm here that we that we're reading, and it says, "I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence comes my help." And this is kind of an interesting. Number one, I will lift up my eyes. I will look up. Now, How many times when we're in trials and tribulations do we tend to look down at the problems, not up? And this is very important because we get into problems, we get into situations, and instead of looking to God, we start looking at the problem. And here the psalmist is saying, I will look up. I am not going to be looking at the problem." And have you ever noticed when you're in the middle of a problem, when you stop looking at the problem, how everything seems to be solved pretty quick? When you start looking at God and he starts solving the problem instead of wallowing around in the problem? And this happens over and over things. the more you look at the problems, the the proverb is uh, you can't see the forest because of the trees. Because you're standing right in front of a tree and that's all you see is the tree and you don't see the forest. Usually in problems, that's exactly what happens to us. We're so focused on the problem immediately in front of us that we don't see the whole panorama and say, well, all I've got to do is take two steps this way and I'll go right around the problem. We get stuck on our problem. And it says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. And this is not talking about a God of the hills. This is really, I believe, talking about the heavenly Jerusalem. Because all of the scriptures, we talk about Zion. We look up to Zion. We look up to the holy mountain, which isn't really stopping at the physical plane. It says God has set his presence in Jerusalem. But it's a picture of the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly throne room, where we're to look up to. And we see this over and over on the sides of the north in the city of our great king, you know, he's talking about, always talking about up. Up to, to, to look toward Jerusalem, but it's to look beyond Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where God has chosen to dwell, you know, he says. But it's beyond that that he's trying to bring us up. And this writer says, I'm going to look up. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to get my eyes off my problems, off my, my, the issues in it. Why? because that's where my help comes from. God is just waiting for us in the middle of our trials to look to him and say, God, I need your help. Too often we take our eyes down from the the heights and we look at the problem and we stare at the problem. And have you ever been in a place where you've looked at a problem so long and so hard that you feel like you're totally defeated and then maybe eventually give up? And God shows you the answer and it's like, oh, wow, that was so simple, God, I should have done this you know, days ago, years ago, decades ago, whatever it might be. It's amazing how long we'll sit trying to figure out a problem with God. God, let me just fight with you for a long time. I, I, I am going to figure this out, God. I do not need your help, God. I will figure this out. Well, I've done it many times myself, you know, go for years. Trying to fix something myself. I've done that part, but I've never done the part where I, where I actually said i Don't need God, but I think just doing it without—that's me. Without a without saying I do or I don't need you, just just do it. Well, remember, most of the time when I say these things that like I don't need God, most of us have never said I don't need God out loud or even in our mind necessarily. But as you said, I refuse to turn to God. What am I really saying? God, I don't need you. We may not say it physically. We might not even truly think it out logically because if we thought it out logically, it would sound so stupid in our mind that we'd immediately turn to God. I find that it when, it's, I'm, when I'm, I have a problem, not just a problem, for lack of a better word, but there's, there's absolutely, I get in trouble, tr- trouble with this problem. I, turn to, I, turn to, I tend to turn to God in desperation. And that's usually what we do. I have worked on this problem for so long, so, so struggled with it, or this will get me in lots of trouble if it comes out. Yeah. And we turn to God. And finally, when we despair, life is a lot easier if we'll turn to God without having to wait that long and just say, God, I need your help because you are my help. And this is where he says, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence my help comes. And this is so important, our support, our deliverance. And, you know, like I say, I understand when you guys say I've never said this, but in reality, when we don't turn to God immediately, and I'm going to struggle through, what I'm telling God is, God, I don't need, I really don't need your help. I can do this. And I may not say it physically. I may not even think it directly in my mind, because like I say, if we thought it, if we logically thought what we were saying, we would instantly stop going, God, man, I need God for everything. But our flesh does not want to release, and our flesh wants to say, I don't need God. And this goes back to the battle that Paul talks about. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Too often our flesh will stand up basically telling God, I don't need you. We don't think it all the way through when we're looking at it because if we really did, we'd say, man, God, I need you for everything. I've got to quit this this mentality of not needing you. Follow this advice. I look to God. I'm going to look up. I'm going to get away from my problems. I'm going to look up. And who... From whence my, comes my help. What is help? Everything about support, deliverance. And so often, you know, when we finally give up and we just say, God, I need you, it's amazing how fast God solves problems. I've heard the testimony of many people here, you know, that they, they finally give up and all of a sudden the, everything just opens wide up. There's the path. There's the path through the forest. <laughs> There's the path through the bog. You know, God just lights the path. And we walk right out. And like, wow, I struggled all this time for no reason. And we need to really comprehend that. It was struggling for no reason. The longer we fight God, the more miserable we are for a long time because God's going to make us bend eventually. So our job is to learn to bend very quickly and say, God, I just want to do what you want. And this should happen as we mature in God. The more mature we are in God, the easier it is for us, hopefully, to... Just release and, and let him do things. Why? Well, I think I said it this morning. When we get used to God answering our prayers, we get used to him delivering us, we start realizing life's a whole lot easier that way. And we start moving a little faster that direction. And I share often, when bad things come my way or what appears to be bad things to me, I have learned very quickly now to just say, God, I don't understand this, but you're in control. And it makes life a whole lot easier. You know there's a saying I grew up with, I don't know about you guys. God helps those who help themselves. You're taught from a very early age not to ask God first, but to try to do it yourself. That's a wrong teaching. It's a completely wrong teaching. It's one of those many things that are are Americanisms that are bad, bad things to get in your head. And most of us live on that standard. God helps those who help, them help themselves. No, God is so merciful and gracious that he helps those who turn to him and can't get, it, get over it. Matter of fact, when you're helping yourself and doing everything on your own, you're doing the exact opposite of what God asks us to do. I'm so strong, I can do this myself. I don't need you, God. Or God, I'm gonna, if I can get out of this because I'm so convinced that God does not want to help me. Most people's picture of God, and I've said this before, even as Christians, is that God's up there playing a celestial whack-a-mole. If you dare to stick your, hand out, or your head up and do something, he's going to whack you. And that's how most people look at God. If I do something, I mean, if I do anything, God is just waiting to smack me for doing anything wrong. We have the wrong picture of God. You know, It could even be the, the God up in heaven with his lightning bolts ready to strike you at the moment you do anything wrong. That's not the right picture of God. Yes, he's holy and righteous, but he wants to give us grace and mercy. And if we start understanding who God is, it becomes a lot easier to look to him for help. God, I am just, I am lost without you. I need you for everything. The statement, I can do nothing without God is so critical. Don't buy into this God helps those who help themselves or, you know, I got to do everything I can. I hear that a lot. I got to do what I can do and then God will do the rest. No, it needs to be God doing all of it. Making yourself available would fall under that. That would be one thing, making yourself available, making yourself, God, I want what you want. That's different from trying to do things yourself. You know, what do we what do, do ourselves? Just about everything. God, I'm, uh, you know, I've talked about. It. Here's my here's my pro con list. God, I think I should be doing this. You know, God, well, maybe I might pray. <laughs> maybe I'll ask God what He wants me to do. Well, whatever. No, whatever. It would not have been what I would have chosen to do. Is what God wants me to do not every time but lots of times that's why we need to put in and say god what is it you want me to do now if he tells you to put a pro con list together that's fine but it's not not necessarily the right way to go so we look at this and say how devoted am i to god how important just as we talked about them this morning how important is he is he number one and the first place i look not the last thing, because we have the saying you know i've tried everything else maybe i should pray First thing you should do is pray. And yet, for most of us, it almost always is. One of the last things we do is to pray. Here the, here the psalmist is saying, I want to look to God. Right from the beginning, I want to look to God. Because anything I'm going to, any help I'm going to get is coming from him. And so very important as we look at this. And then in verse 2, My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth." He's acknowledging that God is creator. And because he's creator, he's sovereign. And because he's sovereign, he will have his way. Have you ever thought about this? And I've shared this so many times. One of my greatest comforts is that God is in charge. Because if he wasn't in charge, life would be miserable. Life would be miserable. And why is he in charge? Because he's the creator of heaven and earth. Everything that's created, everything that's out there, he created, he's in charge of. And that brings great comfort to be able to look at. My help comes from the Lord. Jehovah, Yahweh, whichever term you want to use in there, the creator of heaven and earth. He has the power to get us out of the craziest situations. That's one of the things I love about these different biographies. You know, and, I, and I love the, the George Mueller one where he learns to just pray. Spending tens of thousands of pounds a month, which equivalent to this day and age, would be close to a million dollars a month taking care of these kids. With no money, no bank account, no big company paying this. It's just going to God and saying, God, we need this. And you know how nerve-wracking it must have been for him. He had thousands of kids dependent on him, dozens of employees dependent on him, and no source of income. Yeah, that's a lot of faith. And it talks in the book about how sometimes he struggled with this. And God, you know, if I can't make the, you know, salary payments next month, you know, we're going to lose all our all our workers, which then means we lose all of our kids. Yeah, they were tests to his faith. And I love the story of them getting down for breakfast and no breakfast. that's a beautiful story, you know, and and he's praying, thanking them for the food that they're about to eat, and there's no food in the place. But how did he get there? Years of being taught to turn to the Lord, who his help comes from. We need to learn to, to seek God, the master of heaven. Verse three, he will not suffer your foot to be moved, He that keeps you will not slumber. He will not suffer you. He will not allow. He will will not permit your foot to be moved. And that means to totter, to to uh, shake. How often have you been in a place where when God is leading you, you are very strong and confident? When we are not being led by God, there's a lot of fear, have I made the right decisions? Am I doing the right things? Am I, am, I how, am I going the right direction? And yet God is saying, he will keep us from being moved. And we want to keep this in mind. But I love this part. He that keeps, which means guards, he that keeps you will not slumber. Now this word for slumber is not actually sleep. It is He is, does not get drowsy. This is very strong. He says, the one who keeps you, he doesn't even get sleepy. He's not even going to lose his attention on you. Can you imagine the power? If you really understood this, it basically is saying he's omnipresent and and nowhere and is not ever going to be so tired he can't pay attention to you. Can you imagine, uh, hey, God, I need your help. Uh, Sorry, I'm going to bed now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to bed now. You go. You're on your own for for while I sleep for 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 a while. <laughs> That's not our God. He's never tired. He's never he's never losing his attention on you. And I've shared. You know, we've talked about this. The very chemicals of this world are held together by God. Can you imagine if God lost his attention for just a split second? He's 24/7. He's 24/7. He's he's. 60 seconds out of 60 out of every minute, he's uh, uh, what is it, 7420? I can't remember the day, the seconds in a day, but he has control of every single second, of every single nanosecond, and he never loses concentration on us. Because if he did, everything would fall apart. Yeah. When we think about that, how much of our life does he is he, is he interested in? All of it. And, and we so often as, as people will try to compartmentize. God, this is your time. I'm in church. Or this is your time. I'm reading your Bible. God, this is not your time. I'm, watch, I'm busy watching a movie. God, this is not your time. I'm busy watching sports. You know, now, nothing wrong with those. God may say if that's fine, go ahead and do it. But are we telling God this isn't your time? God, uh, you kind of stay where you're at, God. I'm going to work. You know, and, and work. I just have to do things like the world does, God, to be successful. So, God, you just kind of stay, stay over in the corner while I do work. Yeah. So we work we the, Oftentimes, we don't. The, We're not trying to bring him into all the things. We sometimes think that we can compartmentize our life, and where he's not with us at all times, and though we understand he is, we live like he's not. If we did add, it would change everything about what you do. Because now when it's, okay, I'm a salesman, do I tell this little fib to make the sale? It's not a big one, but do I tell the fib or do I tell the truth? If I'm following God, I tell the truth, no matter what the other salesman would have done. To, and you know, I've seen, you know, and I hate it when people go, well, this offer is for just this moment. Well, I'm sorry, if you can do it now, you can do it next week. It's not that big a deal. Uh, so quit lying to me. And this happens all the time when you're out there. People will color the truth, you know, in the business world. Well, you know, I I just can't quite tell the truth on this issue. Uh, I want to go forward on that, uh, moving forward on these things. And we got to be careful. We want to make God part of who we are all the time. When I was younger, I had a big problem when I played sports because I get very serious and competitive when I played sports and sometimes I'd leave God out of the picture. You know, I could, you want to get me mad at any time, just put me in, a port, in the sports and have a bad call. A really bad call and I would come unglued. And you know, I had to learn to bring God involved in these things, it was very tough. And you know, it's so easy just to leave God behind and not bring him into every aspect of our life and realize, God, you're here. You're here. You're you're doing this activity with me, whatever that activity is. And here it says, God doesn't sleep or isn't drowsy. I like drowsy better because the next verse goes in verse four, behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Which kind of, when you read it in English, kind of seems silly, he's not sleeping nor sleeping. (laughs) Because what is slumber slumber is sleeping. So it says in, in, in English it says he will not sleep nor sleep. But it really is, he is neither drowsy nor sleeping. And drowsy is that kind of awkward place where you're, you're awake but not really functioning. You know, you're you're trying to do stuff but you're not really there completely. Uh, Sometimes when I'm proctoring tests, if I haven't had a really good night's sleep, it's really hard sometimes because I get drowsy, so I walk around the room a lot <laughs> because otherwise I'd probably be asleep <laughs> watching people in a silent room taking tests. <laughs> you, know, you get drowsy. You get kind of you know, muddled in your thinking. He says, the one who keeps Israel does not get drowsy or sleep. What does this mean for us? God is what protecting us every moment of the day. Every moment of our life, he is watching us with no tiredness. You know, have you ever gotten tired about a, some task? You know, even if you like it. You, know, you think about this. If you're, if you're sewing or knitting, there might be a time when you just kind of get tired of it, and you know, that's when you're going to have a chance of dropping a stitch or something and making a mess out of everything. It's time to put it away. God doesn't get that way. He doesn't get to the point where he says, well, I'm just so tired. I think I'm going to ignore you for a while. I'm just so tired. I'm going I'm to take a 20-minute nap while you take care of yourselves. That would be scary, wouldn't it? God napping. You know, Think about Elijah on, uh, on Mount Carmel, you know, teasing the prophets of Baal. You know, yell a little louder. Maybe, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he went on vacation. He got a little tired. He went away for a while. But you know, it was pretty much what he was saying. You know, our, hey, in, in one sense, he's saying, you know, "I serve a God who's not going to be disappearing." You know, you you you've got a God that maybe maybe there, maybe not there. It's not listening. We don't know where he is. But our God is always there. But you know, it, it, he was teasing them. He was making fun of them. He was, you know, making fun of their God. But you know, for us, we serve somebody who keeps and guards us. Well, because they were yelling and cutting and you know, cutting themselves and trying to get their God to listen. And he's going, you know, and, and I love it, you know, because his language was so very vivid, you know. He, maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he went on vacation. You know, he was really getting after him. Maybe he's just a man, you know, you know, maybe he's just a man and needs a vacation and he's ignoring you. you know, he was making fun of them. Are you worshiping a God that deserves to be worshiped? And that's when he just quietly came in and called down fire from heaven and God sent down the fire that ate everything. <laughs> uh, but he understood, God is not one who sleeps. God is not one who has gone off to do other things. And here we are, our guard. You know, this word for keep means to guard. The one who guards us. And what's important about a guard is that they never, the guard is supposed to be attentive for their entire shift. Now, we know that not all guards are attentive for their whole shift but he's saying our god is our god is our guard who will be attentive always very powerful picture when we think about this the, the protection of our god that he cares for us that no matter what and as we said so often we have this idea of, well i got to do i've got to do you know and isaiah tells us that all our righteousness the best thing i can do in god's sight is Filthy rags, so we want to be very careful about. I've got to work it. I've got to do this stuff. Verse five: The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my is your shade and your upon your right hand. So this is the idea again. God is our guard. He's our protector. He's the one that's going to keep us. He says, "The Lord is my shade upon." Is your shade upon your right hand? Shade, you know, shade means protection. You know what is what is shade on us? It keeps us protected from the heat of the day. God is God is our shade. He's the one who protects us from the heat. Literally, protects us from the heat that we're going to be that we're going to be in. And what is how we look at that? The fiery furnaces that we go in, the trials that we go into, all the All the hardship that we go into. And again, when we're focused on him, he is the protection on it. Even when we're in the midst of all the trials. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. The guys that throw them in die. And they're wandering around. I love some of these cartoons, you know. These... You know, you know, we need a, we need a new heater in here. It's not very hot in here. Or you know, pass the marshmallows so we can toast them. You know, it's all the different things that you get on there. But literally, it said not even the smell of smoke was on them when they came out. God was their literal protection. Daniel thrown into the lion's den, and they didn't touch him over for the whole night. We see this over and over again. The children of Israel wandering through the wilderness, being fed manna every day. We, we see God being the shade. And even with the children of Israel, as they were wandering through the wilderness, how were they led? A pillar of light at night and a, and a cloud by day. And in Psalms, it tells us that pillar of cloud would form over the camp so that they were under shade in the middle of the desert. So this is what he's referring back to. God is your shade. He's keeping the heat off of you. He's keeping you comfortable. And again, we go back to this idea. When I'm focused on God, even when I'm in the hard trials, the heat does not seem to be that bad. At least that's been my experience. When I'm focused on God, the trial does not seem to be bad. The hardship is not bad. The, the, everything about it is an easier way of going through life. And God is saying, I am your shade at your right hand. And hopefully you understand what right hand is, because we've talked many times, right hand is approval. Your shade is is upon my right hand. And right hand, we've talked many times, is the side of approval. God, your protection is on my approval. I want it. I want to be there. I want to see you work. And, and so often, we as Christians want to say that God is that we approve of God, but how often do we live again as if He's not? You know, that we don't want to pay attention to Him. And we want to be very careful about this. Do I keep God always focused in my approval? Do I want what He wants? And that usually means being submitted to Him, being ready to let Him have His way. You know, have your own way, Lord, as as the hymn goes. And usually we really should be singing, Lord, I want my way, I want my way. <laughs> and that he wants to keep us, and he's, he's, our, he's our shade, he's our protector. Verse 6 continues this thought, The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. He is our shade, he's keeping us from all the heat of the sun, all the pressures of the sun. And again, you remember, these people live in a desert kind of similar to we. They know what it means to be in the middle of the desert and the heat of the day and how really smart it is not to try to do things in the middle of the day. (laughs) He goes, but the sun shall not smite you. Why? Because God is your shade. He's your protector. And very important on this it's the whole idea of being protected. And this whole psalm is about that. God, you are my protector. You are the one who's going to keep me. You're my guard. You don't sleep. You don't, you don't get drowsy. You're, my, you're the one that's going to keep me. You're going to keep me in the middle of the, of the heat. And then it goes, nor the moon by night. And this one's a little trickier because I had to do some research on this. There's a couple of things this one might mean. Number one is the whole idea of being moonstruck or lunacy <laughs> uh, that has been out there for years that the moon has an impact upon lunatics and, has, a, yes. and has, an impre- has work on people. And so it could be that. It could be simply that in the Middle East and in middle latitudes the moon is very bright at times. I remember living in Guam, the moon would be so bright in Guam that it would cast a shadow. And you don't see that very often here. But the moon was so bright that it would literally cast shadows. You could walk around with no flashlights, nothing, because the moon was that bright. a lot of places, it used to be all the the places, but now we have so much light pollution, we don't have uh, very bright moons anymore. But, so that could be part of what it is. He says the light from the moon is going to affect you. Uh, It could also be that there was the whole idea in the Middle East of Gods of the moon, the, the, the opposition from the dark and the moon. So there's a lot of things he might mean on this, and we don't know exactly what he's meaning, but he is definitely saying God is still our protection. And I would like to say that he's saying God is your protection during the day and night. Doesn't matter. Again, I'm going back to the whole idea, God doesn't sleep. Now we, may, we may have trouble at night, we may have trouble you know, with all of this, but God does not have any trouble with it. And, you know, how many people are afraid at night? You know, even kids especially have this problem, but even a lot of adults have problems with this. They, they hear noises, they get spooked. Uh, uh, my house is being broken into because I heard a creak out there. Uh, you know, I might get it, I might get it in, you know, home invasion because it's nighttime. I mean, we oftentimes get terror at night. Night terrors. Night terrors, night, just fears as well just fears of anything that could go wrong. And sometimes there is the whole idea of it's dark, what's, what's around the corner? And he says, God will not let anything smite you day or night because he's in control. Just because it's dark does not mean that God lost control. Just because we're having a hard time does not mean that God's lost control. Well, what have I normally said to you? when things look like they're bad? Because for God, they're not bad. He's allowing something to test me, to grow me, and to strengthen me. I was, I interpret it as bad. But He says all things work together for good. And looking back, the very things that seem really bad to you in the past are usually what you look back on and say, "I learned a lot, and I got stronger." because of it. Now, when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't seem that way. Unless you, unless you really fall down and say, God, you're going to work it for good because you already have. There is, That's is there? A plan, right? is there? It depends. What's your attitude about it? God says all things work together for good. I understand what you're saying about it. In the moment, it really seems bad. And it's not necessarily good. Losing a child or something is not a good thing. But God says that he will turn and do something good out of that. Now, what does that mean? It may give you more empathy for somebody else who goes through hard times. God will use anything it takes to bring people closer to him. And sometimes those things will either, if we choose not to turn to him, it will destroy our life. But it is very important because so many people blame God. God, you let such and such happen to me. Well, God's saying, yes, I did, but now let's, let's get beyond it and show you what, what I'm going to use it for. How it's going to grow you in, in, in your strength. The question is, are we turning to God for an answer or are we going against God for an answer? If we go against God, your life is going to be miserable and met many people who have done that. God, you let this happen. I am never going to turn to you again. Be miserable the rest of your life if you want, and they are. Turn to God and say, God, I don't understand this, and this is my favorite statement. God, I don't understand how this could be for good, but you've promised that it's for good. None of this is easy. When I talk about these things, most of the things I talk about, it's taken me years to get to this place where I just say, God, you've promised it's for good. I'm going to accept it. If you are looking to God and saying, "God, you're going to work it for good," and you're focused on God rather than the problem, it's easy to get past. You don't really ask God why. You ask questions like that. Oftentimes, my statement is, "God, I don't understand this, but You promised it's for good." So I don't. I'm not sitting there asking God why You're doing things. Because the one thing I am absolutely 100% sure of is He's going to use, make something good out of it. Whatever it might be. I guess if you're asking questions, it's almost like you want to be just like... You want answers. You're saying, God, I, I expect you to answer my questions. When I was a manager, most of the time I would explain things to people. But if I told you to do something, I wanted you to do it, and I didn't have time to tell you why, and I just expected you to do what, I, what, I, what needed to be done. That's Too true. many of us want God to tell us why, and he's God, and we're not. Now we gotta keep in mind that he's God and we're not. And the more we remember that we're not God, the easier it is to not question everything that he's trying to do in our life. And one of the greatest lessons I learned about something that looks bad being used for good, which as I've shared with you, I walked around on crutches for almost six months with my gout, and I'm going, God, this is not, you know, I'm in pain every night, I'm not sleeping, I'm still serving you. I don't understand what can be good about this, but, you know, I accept it. And then about a year later it was that somebody came up to me and told me about how, how they were blessed by me serving God when, it was, when I was in obvious pain. I'm going, okay, God, I now understand what was good or what good was going to come out of this obvious pain that made no sense to me and was not for my good. The pain was not for my good. But you only heard from one person and you don't know how. Oh, who knows how many others and how many other? But it was a lesson for me to say, when I suffer something that doesn't seem to make any sense to me, God's got a reason for it. Who knows what that reason is? How many times have you looked at somebody and said, wow, it's amazing how well they've gone through these problems and it's encouraged you that they're going through a problem and being strong for God, and they're going through some problems that you go, man, if that had happened to me, I would have, you know, I would have killed myself or whatever it might be. And you look at them and they've stayed faithful to God and it encourages you. Now you may never know when you've done that to somebody else. And God is saying all things work together for good. Even those things that don't seem to be any good to you, that goes back to the question of somebody losing their family member what is good about that? It might just be that you stay strong with God and somebody sees your faithfulness with a God that is going to stay strong, and they're going, that's what I need. I need that kind of faith. And pull from your strength to Lord, And take your strength that you've demonstrated or God's strength through you that you've demonstrated and turn to God in a stronger way. Was it a good event? Absolutely not. Did God use it in somebody else's life? Absolutely. When you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, all these guys being murdered for Christ, were that, you know, was that good? Their example has gone on to bring many, 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 hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to Christ. Was their death good? Yeah, well, in one sense for them it was, they went to heaven. Was it good for their family? No, they'd have to suffer the loss of a, of a family member. But many people come to Christ because of it. So was it good? Yes. And how many others <laughs> also turn away? They're going to turn away no matter what. They were turned away anyway in most cases. We are not responsible for people's acceptance or rejection of the gospel message when we give it. We, our job is just to give it. They're held accountable for what they do with that message. Now, was was your conversion real? Did you fully depend on God, or were you just playing a game in your own strength? And there are some people that can play a game in their own strength. Now, if you are truly a Christian and you totally fall away, you're still going to heaven because it's all by grace. Again, it goes down to the decision of how do we get saved? We get saved by grace. Nothing I do will make me saved. Nothing I do will make me unsaved. It's by grace. I turn to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I'm turning to you because you are the only way of salvation. All right? And that's where the, the rubber meets the road. I God, I cannot make it to heaven because I don't deserve it. I need you. And he says, fine, I paid the price. You're my child. At that point, you're saved. Now, the question is, was it real? And this is the question that most people have. They'll go, well, they lost their salvation. No, it was never real in the first place. They never truly got saved and had Christ living in them. They played lots of games. They looked, they looked like they were doing it, but they were a counterfeit in many cases. Now, you can go twist it around, and most of that is by not being in God's word, not following him, but if you are saved, you are saved. That little thing makes you question yourself. Paul said we are to examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith. He encouraged us to look and say, is God truly in my life? And you know, the one how do you know that God is in your life? All those times of having your, your life being changed, little by little, over a period of time. And I've said this many, many times, and you've all heard this many times, if you are the same today as you were five, six years ago, then you better look and say, am I truly saved? Is God working in my life? If you're seeing a progressive improvement that's not you disciplining your flesh, then you go, okay, yes, I'm in Christ. And this is where I am at. I look back and say, okay, there's so much in my life that God has taken out. Not me. Not me with a whip and chair putting my flesh into, into submission. It's him changing who I am and making those changes in me. Now, for some people, they're very slow changes. For some people, they're very fast, quick changes. You know, when you see somebody almost stay the same most of their life and you're going, okay, would you finally get going with God? You have to wonder, are they busy trying to discipline their flesh or is God changing them? And only you know the difference on that. And that's why Paul did say, you know, examine yourself. Be sure that you're in the in the... Verse 7, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. He shall guard is what this says. He will guard you from evil and he will guard your soul. And our soul, that's a very important thing. Soul is the seat of our emotions or the seat of our appetites. You know, it's really who we are. Do you realize that God guards your very central part of your being when you allow him to? your desires. This is where he comes in and he changes who we are from the inside out and he changes our very desires. As a Christian, I don't want to do, especially after 40 years, I don't want to do all the things I used to do when I was a newer Christian. And he slowly works out different attitudes on us. He slowly works in certain things. He teaches us to be more loving, more kind, more forgiving. He takes away the desires to go out and do sin. You know, we still have them, unfortunately, and always will, but certain ones are taken out. And this is my example. Is can you think of anything that God has asked you to give up that you thought you'd never be able to give up, and all of a sudden it was easy to give up? You thought, I'd never be able to give this up. And God says, it's time to give it up. And you say, okay, God, I I can't do it, but you need to do it. And the next thing you know, you look back and it's like, oh, that wasn't all that hard after all. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't that hard. And it could be any number of things. Any number of things could be. It could be, what do you watch on television? Or give up TV altogether, whatever it might be that God's telling you to do. Uh, What kind of music do you listen to? You know, for me, for years, it used to be I I listened to just about everything. Then it turned into just Christian music, and now I'm almost strictly Christian messages. Now, is that for everybody? No. But God is saying, you know, move it on. You know, I, there used to be a time I would have thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to listen to uh, Christian messages 24 7. No way. <laughs> Got to have some music somewhere in this. Listen to nothing but Christian music? God, I kind of like that country music, you know. It's, it's, it, and the oldies, they're, they're fun to listen to. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, moving, you're moving into a new and higher level with God. You know, all these things that we look at and say, some of the things he asks us to give up aren't even sins. They just take time away from him. And he's saying, I want you to spend more time with me. Are you willing to give up something? Whatever it might be in your life. Give up your hobby. Give up give up some activity and, and spend time with him. But he says, He will keep, he will, he will keep our soul. He will keep our keep us from evil. And just the idea of him keeping our soul. Keeping our soul in protection. Verse 8, the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God will guard our outgoing and our incoming. In in other words, everything we do, God is looking over us. Now this, this could be something that's very scary, especially if you're doing a lot of disobedient things with God. God is watching over you. Every time you do something wrong, God is right there. And you know what? He's waiting to give you the power to get through it if you just turn and keep in mind that he's there. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a moving forward. That's a growing, especially, especially if you repent and, and, and don't go backwards and, and, and ignore it. But God is always there. And when he's in our life, when we start doing something wrong, he's right there also. Yeah. Have, you, have you noticed that you cannot do the things you used to do with enjoyment because God is there convicting you? you know, God, I really want to do this. And God says, well, that's not what I want you to do. It's, it's wrong. And, uh, and then you decide, am I going to listen to the conviction or am I going to do, go ahead and do it? And then when I do it, I get convicted even, uh, convicted even more and have to repent or I've turned away from it and turned to God. But God is right there. Every aspect of our life, if God is in your life, you know that he's there. You cannot do wrong if God is in you without being convicted of it. And this is probably the greatest way to know whether you are in Christ or not. Can I sin without being convicted? Do I feel the pressure from God saying it is wrong? Or do I just do it? If I can go out and sin and there's no conviction that I've done anything wrong, there's a problem. There is a deep problem with my spiritual life. I've either done it so much that I've seared my conscience and, or God is not in me to begin with. And that's something very much we have to look at. He's our guard. He's our help. We need to look at him. Look to God for help in all situations. All right, we're going to close here. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your care. We ask you to go with us and help us to follow you and and seek you. Lord, help us to look to you for our help in all things that we do. In your son's name, amen.